Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. This is not a drill, people. This is not a drill. It's real. It's definitely real. It is Game week. Oh my god! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! Wait, 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 wait! Everybody calm down! No! No, Michael, no! We have got meaningful football that is going to stick, that is going to count, that has influence and impact in less than... Well, you're, you're listening to this on Wednesday... One, two, three, four, five, five days. <laughs> How's our math? How's our math? So actually, you know, it, so I would be interested for, for this for you, Bruce, because you're a big college football guy. Huge college football guy, and, yes. and college football of significance started this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I think for people who are fans of college football, you almost get a little bit of a primer. And now for fans of the NFL, you're going to get the same experience you had last week. How, how does it feel to have football back? Amazing. My wife and I sat down at noon on Saturday. We watched the Ohio State and Florida Atlantic game. And Ooh, a real real competitive oh, match. Yeah. You know, actually, it was a lot more competitive than it probably should have been. But we watched the Ohio State-Florida Atlantic game. Of course, Ohio State has the transfer quarterback from Georgia, Justin Fields. There's It's weird. Georgia quarterbacks are sort of having a strange effect on the landscape of college football right now because Jake Fromm at Georgia essentially pushed out two quarterbacks, Justin Fields, who went to Ohio State, and Jacob Eason, who went to Washington. So Georgia is kind of having a ripple effect on the rest of the country for quarterbacks, and that's always interesting. Um, I'm a Jacob Eason guy. I like Jacob Eason. And so that was fun, and we watched that game, and then we didn't stop watching until the Pac-12 games were over at O-Dark 30 in the morning. And we ate just tons of food. Uh, We ate some dilly rolls, for those of you who are not familiar. Dilly rolls are dill pickles that are wrapped in little beef slices covered in cream cheese. Oh. So you take a beef slice... And you put cream cheese on it like it was like a pita bread. Like, a, like roast beef? Like a sli- yeah, like, like, like sandwich roast beef? Like, almost like sandwich roast beef. A little bit more sturdy than that. But you take it and you, you smear cream cheese on it. And then you wrap a dill pickle in it. And you refrigerate it until it kind of coagulates and it kind of it sits there. And those become dilly rolls. Which is a, is a it's kind of a staple in the Nolan household. I am literally speechless. I, I don't. I mean, I would eat it. No, I can't lie about that. I would definitely eat it. I would. I would try, but I. 
the situation where you are looking in your fridge to put together a contraption of some foodstuffs, and you come to the decision of meat, cream cheese, and pickle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it's you know, I, I if it was in a wrap. If it yeah. was if it was like a roast beef wrap and it had pickles and it just happened to have cream cheese in it, sure, I w- we would all be oh that that sounds ordinary, right? But when you subtract any sort of carb <laughs> from the mix, it's 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 quite uh, primitive. Yes, I would argue it's very primitive. It has been a staple in my household for a decade or more, and so that's a very popular party food for us. And we didn't actually have a defined meals; we just kind of grazed yeah all day which is what football saturdays are like now football sundays are different because i go to the bar and i meet you and i I have a typically a a buffalo chicken calzone sort of thing and yes i dip it in ranch shame shame but saturdays are different because they just kind of graze all day there's no really official meal time you just kind of go yeah yeah, it's kind of like if you go to for me, football was football days were like that when I was growing up with my family at home. We would make you know dips and whatever. Uh, I think that if if you don't do that frequently, if that's not really part of your routine, if, as a experience many people have had, if you imagine going to a Super Bowl party and there's just a buffet of snack foods that you are just going to pick at and and you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that, that's that's what you do. But you do it yourself every Saturday. Pretty much, yeah. Um, my wife is an unbelievable cook, and so that helps. But there's always stews, or there's chili, or there's chicken tortilla soup, or there's dips. She makes it, she made a nacho chicken dip this past week that's very solid. Get in my belly! And um, I, uh, I gained a little bit of weight that I have to put off during the week. I basically just try and eat well and work out and do what I have to do during the week so that I can allow all of the acid reflux to come washing over me on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds delightful. Well, why don't we get back into the things people are absolutely, people are actually tuning in to listen to. We apologize for that six-minute uh, detour that we just took you on, but it's not going away, so you'll have to deal with it. But we have a 53-man roster. So less than a week ago, you heard from Bruce and I as we pounded out our consensus 53-man roster, a little bit of bullying along the way uh, from Bruce twisting my arm into uh, into keeping Captain Munnerlin, even though obviously you all heard it. I was apprehensive. I could have had one over on him, but uh, just wasn't wasn't to be. I didn't have the cojones. So, Bruce, big picture. I mean, so we weren't that far off, uh, truth be told, on the 53-man roster projection. I mean, nobody had LaShawn McCoy not making the team, and that happened. Uh, which had some consequences. We did keep 10 offensive linemen, which was pretty substantive uh, and, and had some uh, ripple effects across the across the roster. Kept five corners, uh, another point of contention. Oh, that's uh, Bruce's facial expression changed on that one. And five safeties, which maybe is a consolation prize for you. Uh, I, I think those are the four things of interest. I, the rest of it, I think we were we were pretty much spot on. Three running backs as opposed to four, um, you know. So we were light at running back and light at corner, heavy at offensive line and safety. Yeah, yeah. I think the Duke Williams Isaiah McKenzie thing obviously um, went right down to the wire, but Duke Williams was 
very quickly announced as being on the practice squad. So I have a feeling the fact that Duke Williams came to our practice squad, Ray Ray went to Carolina's practice squad, probably indicates it was probably down to the two of them. And I had it right on the solo pod that I did and said McKenzie's going to be the sixth receiver. And then I let the Detroit game seep into my consciousness and change my mind. And I shouldn't have flip-flopped. I should have stuck to my guns and said, no, Isaiah McKenzie's going to get that sixth spot. But I, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Duke continues to show a skill set that we don't have elsewhere. I'm particularly pleased that the Bills did keep McKenzie. That was my stated preference earlier. Actually, I don't know if it was on the last pod that I that we recorded together or the pod that was lost that we recorded earlier in the week. That, that, that was a big bummer. Um. But I, I was a guy who wanted to keep McKenzie for one reason spe- one reason specifically is that we we don't have a whole lot of evidence to suggest that Josh Allen uses the size receivers well, right? He didn't do that very well with Andre Holmes. He didn't do that very well with Kelvin Benjamin. Now, Kelvin Benjamin didn't do him any favors, but it, it wasn't to be seen. And we didn't really see Duke Williams and Josh Allen develop any sort of chemistry between them. It was Matt Barkley and Duke Williams or Tyree Jackson and Duke Williams. So I think that's, you know, um, a decision they made and I'm fine with it because if things, I, I am a little interested that we brought in Laquan Treadwell so quickly because hypothetically, if, if he had a great workout and we liked him, we were going to let Isaiah go. When people bring in, when teams bring in people at this point in the offseason for working out, it could be because they want to sign them and upgrade their 53 at the bottom and churn the bottom of the roster. It also could be, okay, let's just make sure we cross our T's, dot our I's on this guy because if somebody gets hurt, we want to call a guy we already know about to bring him in. I would highly, highly doubt the Bills sign Laquan Treadwell or Noah Spence anytime soon. But if, you know, Daryl Johnson were to go down or Isaiah McKenzie went down or Zay Jones went down, we want to have people who we go, okay, we know. What if we look to Duke Williams and go, eh, he's not ready yet? We want to be able to bring somebody off the street rather than promote him up from the practice squad. Yeah. Okay. It's options. More options are always better than yeah, less that, options. That's interesting, too. I think that could be what we did with the punters, too, because we brought in four punters, none of whom were, you know, names to write home about uh, because we lost out on Britton Colquitt, the Pro Bowl punter from Cleveland, who lost out to the guy that they have on their, their uh, team with the nickname the Scottish Hammer, which is, that's a strong, strong nickname. I, I mean, if you have to lose out to somebody, I, yeah, I mean, I mean he, the Scottish Hammer. Right, right, right. Welcome to all things Scottish. Our slogan is, if it's no Scottish, it's crap! The guys that we brought in to uh, evaluate to see if we were going to, I guess, bring them on instead of Bajorquez, none of them were, uh, you know, things that you get super excited about. And it could be a situation where... They were never had the intention of signing somebody before week one. But if Bajorquez goes out there and sucks it up on Sunday, then they're going to make a phone call on Monday and they're not going to be working guys out. They're just they're, they're making a call. Right. It may have been one of those things where if we can get Colquitt, then great. We know that's an upgrade. If we can't get him, then let's work out these other punters. If any of them is an upgrade, and we know it right now. Great. If not, we always have the ability to know these punters and bring them in if Bohorkas falls flat on his face, which, of course, the argument that I'm making is he already did fall flat on his face. 
But, you know, chemistry as a holder is far more important than your ability to do your job. So I guess that's that. Mm. Mm. Can you tell my voice is dripping with sarcasm? Yes, we can tell. Yeah. We can tell. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Anything else on the roster that you want to cover? I mean, we're, we're not going particularly deep into it. But if there's anything of interest, I certainly don't want to don't want to trim the conversation early. I think that I think you deserve a little bit of credit for some of the stuff that we've been talking about for a long time in this offseason. Number one, you were on the team get rid of Shady from the beginning, from the post. Ironically enough, the post draft episode that was originally not on Buffalo Rumblings, but we reposted it as a Nick and Nolan flashback episode specifically has you going off on a tangent about getting rid of Shady. And I specifically said that the Singletary pick got a bad grade in part because of the presence of Shady causing us to waste a year of Singletary's athletic prime on a rookie contract. Now that the circumstances have changed. And so I think it's important that we, you know, let's give Nick a little bit of props here Well, for so, that one. So your grade for, for Singletary's pick originally was what? An F. And it is now what? I mean, you can make an argument it's an A. Yeah, I thought you tweeted that it was. Yeah, an a. I mean, I I, I didn't I, I didn't really I didn't really think it all the way through before I tweeted it. I was just like, you know, oh, the, the, the bar point, for the course on Twitter. Yeah, there, the point being that it's it was an F for a lot of different reasons, but one of the big ones was a running back on a rookie contract is incredibly resource efficient, and if you waste one quarter of that resource, if you have four year rookie deal. And you waste a quarter of it, that's unbelievably poor resource management, which is worthy of an F. And I specifically said, I think I said on the pod, the the after post-draft pod, if this thing wasn't, it would be a B. I think I said it would be a B. I think I distinctly remember saying that phrase. That sounds familiar. So it's, you know, it's markedly better now. And I'm perfectly fine with keeping three running backs in Pat DeMarco. Now... If the reason you went light at that position is so that you could go heavy on safety instead of corner, that's not necessarily great, in my opinion. But I think we need to talk a little bit about the release of Shady. I think that that's, I'm, I'm sure by this time in the week, you've gotten a lot of people's opinions on it. But you and I have talked about it. Friend of the pod, Joe Marino, and I talked about it. That, And then Brandon B talked about it. We had to take into consideration. Friend of the show, Brandon Bean. Friend of the show, Brandon Bean. <laughs> Um, had he had to talk about it. They had to talk about whether or not Shady would be happy with a reduced role. They basically came out and said, "Hey, you know, we had to take that into consideration." Yeah. Uh, well, they didn't take it into consideration. And decide it was great. That's for sure. Yeah. I, the thing for the, okay. So here's let's we can do the revisionist history on some of this. I I, I appreciate I appreciate the props on being on the. You know, uh, we could move on from Shady. I think that a lot of people felt like we could move on from Shady. Uh, I didn't campaign for it or say that it was something that needed to happen or that was going to happen. I, I There was no evidence really to suggest that. Brandon Bean was keeping his cards close to his chest. He was keeping the trade value up or being genuine or w- whatever combination of those things it was when they were talking up Shady. Now, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, it didn't seem like the way that this brain trust prefers to handle players 
It is all about you have to earn it. And, you know, of course, there's exceptions to that. Tremaine Edmonds starts right away, right? Tremaine Edmonds starts right away. Trey White starts right away. I mean, there's there are some exceptions. But those guys also don't have the cachet and swagger and perhaps the weight to throw around that a Shady McCoy does. If Shady's unhappy, he's an entity in and of himself. He's a well-known, you know, football star. And I just thought that the whole dynamic of the Bills' leadership and brass around dealing with Shady was very, very contrary to how I expect Sean McDermott to interact with players and how I expect Brandon Bean to interact with players. I I can't think of another person that we had to talk about in such a cagey way except for Kelvin Benjamin. Um, But that was for, those were totally for on the field problems. And Shady, you know, I, I think that the third preseason game against Detroit was also very interesting because we saw some of the slipperiness and the burst again. And I, I don't wish Shady ill. Uh, I don't think that it was wise for us to continue to... I, it, my Part of my perspective was it was okay for us to move on because of the depth we had behind him and just because we, we didn't have evidence. I mean, maybe the coaches had it because they see him every day and they see him for hours at a time and all that stuff. We just didn't have evidence to suggest he was going to be the player that he was two years ago. Um, and then we got a little bit of that. And the third preseason game. So take that for what it's worth. I think that ultimately the decision that the Bills made has a lot more to do with Devin Singletary's readiness and current ability than mine was. Uh, My perspective was I just think it's time based on where he is in his contract, what we saw from him most recently, what the backfield looks like behind him. That's it. I don't need to see anybody prove it to me that that's going to be good enough. And I get the impression that to some degree that was influential to the Bills. We don't we don't know. We're not probably ever going to know or we're not going to know for a long time. But that's that's where I'm where I'm at. And I just don't know that it's fair to say that, like me and Brandon Bean shared a hive mind on that at all. It's just um you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very satisfied with how it went, though, and I, I will root for Shady. And I think that going to Kansas City is a little curious with the backfield situation because that's probably going to be a little bit of committee. But I think that he might have been more um, more open and accepting of that, being that he was going to be going back with Andy Reid, who is someone that he had such a close relationship with. I agree. I think the thing that is most interesting to me about the Shady move is that I truly believe that Shady is the last bastion of personality outlier on this team. Uh, Jerry Hughes, but not they're, they're different. They're different categories for sure. Right. Jerry Hughes is crazy, but Jerry Hughes is football crazy. There's a difference. Jerry yeah, Hughes agreed. is football crazy. Agreed. Agreed. And so is his alter ego, Gary. Who's Gary? Oh, I think that's supposed to be me. Haha, <laughs> that's your new name, Gary. 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 <laughs> but I mean, after Kelvin Benjamin, Shady was the last outlier personality on this team. We have essentially taken the mean closer now. So the, you know, if you if you plot the points on a graph, 
right now of personality types. The mean is closer now because you don't have shady drawing the mean up. And it is, I think by design, because I said this before, I don't think that Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean would have chosen Shady. Oh, no. I agree with that. By 100%. 100%. And so they managed him while he was here, but he was an outlier. And perhaps that explains why their approach to him was an outlier, because their approach to him was correlative to his position as an outlier personality-wise on the team. Yes, he was an outlier, and so their handling of him was also an outlier. It didn't seem to fit with the way they handled everybody else, but maybe that's just good leadership, man. If you have someone who's an outlier, maybe you have to lead that person differently than you would lead someone who's not part of the outlier. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it, what's, your, what's your ability to do that? I think is what it comes down to. How dynamic of a um, how dynamic of a of a of a personality as far as as you the leader hypothetically, how many different hats can you wear well, or do you have a style that you play in that is right-handed work for you? Everything else is left-handed work, and it's hard for you to to play and operate outside of your quote-unquote style. And kudos to the Bills. I, you know, I think I don't think it was an insignificant task or an insignificant ask of them to uh, manage somebody like Shady in such a different way than the other, you know, eighty-nine guys or whatever it would be. Uh, and and they, you know, they made it work so that it it truly wasn't ever the issue that we all thought it was. He never missed time on the field. He never caused issues that we were talking about to the extent aside from the the social media post about his offensive line at the end of last season right that's probably as bad as it got and then there's the accusations off the field which we can't really comment on because we just we just don't have information I don't know if shady is your most disruptive player you're fine I mean let's be honest think mm-hmm. about think about the think about all of the teams yeah. across the league and their most disruptive player. Yeah. Think about Antonio Brown. Right. So I was just going <laughs> to, it's exactly what I was going to go to. It still just boggles my mind. I, I guess it wasn't that substantive, right? We want to trust John Warrow. I, I can't imagine that he's incorrect on this, but the fact that we were kicking the tires to any extent or how serious it got, I, I just, um, I'm so surprised. I, I, didn't know Antonio Brown and would not have been as confident to say Antonio Brown is an absolute 100% nutcase as I would be right now, September, you know, you're going to be listening to September 4th, 2019. I wouldn't have necessarily said that in April or June or whenever it was that that all that nonsense happened. Would you? I mean, I, I, I but I had red flags. I definitely was worried yeah, I, I I've known Antonio was nuts for a while. Um, people talk about Odell Beckham. I would much rather have Odell Beckham on my team than Antonio Brown. I think they're both a little nuts, though. Yeah, Odell's Odell's, Odell's a little bit a little bit nuts too. Um, but Odell's a different type of nuts, and I I I think I understand Odell a little bit better from a psychological standpoint. I don't really get Antonio Brown. I'll level with you. I don't understand him, and so that makes him volatile 
and it makes him hard to manage. If I know you're crazy, if I understand you're crazy, your particular brand of crazy. Yeah, what, right? what makes you crazy? Right, then I can adjust to that as a leader and the team can adjust to that. If I know what it is that sets you off, if I know why it is, what is it that drives you? What is What are you going after? But Antonio Brown seems to ping pong his way across the thing. And I don't, I can't <laughs> really, it's a little bit like, like a mosquito flying at a light, you know, it's just, it's just bzz, 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 and he's bouncing around and I, I don't really know. I have a general vicinity idea of where you're going to be, but I don't know what angle you're coming from. I don't know the speed at which you're coming. It's not, you're not quite where I left you the last time I looked. <laughs> That's very fitting metaphor. And I don't quite understand, but Shady was none of those things. He was none of those disruptors. So if he was the most significant outlier, think about how uniform this team has become yes, with that, his absence. That's exactly what I was about to get to is that we have created a very – after this 53-man roster cutdown, I think we are, we are as far along this path as we have been in the McBean era. Any, any portion of it with or without before Bean came and all of that. We have got a somewhat homogenous personality – or homogenous behavior of our players and their the way in which they are portrayed to the fan base. You might even say culture. You yes, yes. The culture at this point with Shady gone, I would say looks like there are fewer blips on the radar than there ever has been. And I don't you know, I don't know how realistic that is to maintain without some serious winning on your resume because as soon as you have people who buy into this for a period of time and then the winning doesn't follow, their appetite to bite their tongue and their appetite to stay in line is going to start to decrease. It's going to be that way with fans too. I mean, we talked about this a lot last year. We're going to talk about it again. The appetite for whatever you expect the growing pains to be and the appetite of whatever you think the negative things you have to sit through and and experience as a fan or a fan base, that appetite goes away real quick when you start watching them for three hours on Sundays. And that kind of goes nicely into the fact that you and I are going to do our record predictions today. We are going to do the record predictions. But before we do... I want to have a quick discussion about keeping five corners. <laughs> of course. Am I tempered a little bit by the fact they kept five safeties? Sure. Yes, I am. But boundary corner is a concern for me. We have three people on the roster that I am confident can play boundary corner. What about Micah Hyde? Micah Hyde played a little slot, and I think he can kind of limp along there. But he's not a boundary corner. That's not what he is. And the fact that we only have three of them in Tredavious White, Kevin Johnson, and Levi Wallace. And Brandon Bean said, well, you know, you know, Taron Johnson, we'll just throw him out there. Please don't do that. <laughs> Saran Neal. For the love of all that is holy and sacred, please don't do that. Do not put Taron Johnson on the outside boundary against A.J. Green. <laughs> This not go well. Don't don't do this thing. I, I'm concerned, and I, that's why I think they should have kept Lafayette Pitts or Captain Munnerlin. I preferred Captain Munnerlin, obviously. Five corners bothers me, but I swear, if they dress four, Nick, if they dress four, I don't think they'll dress four. I think they'll dress four safeties. 
I think they're going to dress all three boundary Saran Neal. I mean, I guess they could sit Saran Neal. They're not going to. They're not. See, the thing is, I think they know. The only reason I think they gave you what you wanted is because they have similar concerns about Taron Johnson's injury history. That's the only thing I even think they. That's the only reason I think they even gave you what you want as far as uh, how many they're going to dress on Sundays because they know that Saran Neal and or Dean Marlowe are going to have to play some kind of hybrid, deep, you know, big nickel, and Dean Marlowe might not even dress, but a, a safety is going to have to come down and play some some serious nickel time, either in a hybrid or in, heaven forbid, a, a Raphael Bush, you know, strict assignment position if Taron Johnson continues to do what Taron Johnson does, which is part of the reason that we like him is he sticks his nose in there all the time and uses his body as a battering ram, just unfortunately is not built to do that against guys who are four inches and 30 pounds more than him. I am... On the regular. I'm going on the record as saying I'm concerned about the fact that they kept five corners. I think they're making a mistake, just like I think they're making a mistake at punter. So if we... Let's say that we dress five, and Taron Johnson does go down, and, you know, it's not one of the boundaries... So, you know, that's, I think what they're doing is they're, what I'm doing right now is I think what they're doing, which is saying like, we'd have to get really snake bit. We'd have to have two guys go down because last season, what was sinking our battleship wasn't just injuries. It was that the people who we had were terrible. It's that, okay, so we've got so many boundary corners, but one of them is Philip Gaines. He might as well be hurt. It's terrible, right? I mean, it's, it's. You have no productivity and no efficiency at the position whenever you have guys of a, of a certain quality or that don't meet a certain threshold of quality. My argument would be if Kevin Johnson is your third corner, expect the injury. I mean, can, can we say that having Kevin Johnson as your third corner is uh, different yeah. than having anybody else as your... Yeah, yeah, I, I see. Kevin, why, why do you sign someone to a one-year deal because they can't stay healthy? And then not have any depth behind him going, well, you know, we'd really have to get snake bit. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this guy's gotten snake bit a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lightning's got to strike twice. Well, he's been struck four times. Right. So uh, he could, fifth isn't that crazy. The, the statistical difference from four to five, you know, it's kind of once you get past two, things are a little weird. Right. I, I, I don't think it's all that crazy. To have Levi Wallace, who is slight of frame, yeah. and Kevin Johnson, who has been hurt all the time, and Taron Johnson, somehow get hurt in rapid succession. Yeah, I mean, that's it, not strange. If you had that happen, and you were to go down to situations where, like, the only guys who weren't nicked up were Trey White and Saran Neal, not good. It's not the same argument as saying, well, you know third quarterback. I mean, we'd have to have Josh Allen and Matt Barkley get hurt, and by then we're screwed anyway. Well, first off, hopefully they're not getting hit every play. And also, it's not the same argument. The, the quarterbacks get hit all the time, and they are, by definition, have slighter frames than other players on the roster. And so, it's a physical spot. Sean McDermott wants his corners to be good in run defense. He wants them to go in there and stick their nose in there. And having outside corner depth is important, and they don't have it. And I think they're making a mistake. All right. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the upcoming game with the Bills and the Jets this Sunday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? 
Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, and along with me as always... Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And we are going to go ahead and continue our conversation about the upcoming game against the New York Jets in the Meadowlands. The Bills and the Jets for week one this Sunday is upcoming. You said that already! Let's see, how do we want to get started here? The game, as far as the betting odds, I find somewhat interesting. Across the board, the Bills are three to three and a half point underdogs to the Jets. Now, the conventional wisdom is that the home field advantage, uh, home field team gets a three-point advantage just as the advantage of being at home. So, uh, you guess I could, you could say this game is a bit of a push. Um, yeah, I, I find that interesting. I think, though, as I'm getting closer and, and kind of dealing with both what I think about what's going to happen in the game and getting to the point where I'm evaluating how I'm feeling coming out of the preseason and the offseason, there is still a lot to be proven for Josh Allen. And I think that that is where, that's where it all comes down to um, for this whole season, this week included, but this whole season. I, so I'll you know say, throw out that gigantic, you know, uh, ambiguous statement there and let you get into some more specifics as we start this conversation. When I look at the Jets roster, I see higher highs and lower lows. And I think that that's a good way to start the conversation about the Jets roster. I think the Jets have talent on that team, but their glaring weaknesses are much more significant than the Bills' glaring weaknesses. When you look at the Jets roster, you see significant problems at corner, edge rusher, and offensive line. But you also see significant improvements at running back and really good safeties. And you think to yourself, higher highs, lower lows. And I think that the story of this game, it always comes down to quarterback versus quarterback. Yeah, not directly, but who which quarterback plays better. But aside from the obvious one, it's going to come back to this. The Jets' deficiencies, do they matter? Do the Bills Make them matter. If Josh Allen can't have a productive passing game against terrible edge rushing and terrible covermen, we might be in for a problem this year. Okay, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. We're playing against Greg Williams, is the defensive coordinator of the Jets. What kind of pass defense should Josh Allen expect to go up against based on what Greg Williams does on the usual back crazy up front in the front for that seven. I hope you can hold up on the back end. That's Greg Williams. Greg Williams is single high safety. Bring the house. And the corners, you know, they might work. They might not, you know, whatever. So he's not the fact that they have poor edge rushing isn't necessarily the biggest deal because he's going to try to manufacture pressure elsewhere. 
Right, but if you don't have the talent to win, then when you bring those extra bodies, all you're doing is just creating deficiencies on coverage. And my big concern is can Josh Allen this week stare down the barrel of crazy psycho blitzes and go, whatever, my guys can beat your guys. I think Cole Beasley is the answer this week. You're probably going to hear me say that a lot this year. (laughs) I think Cole Beasley is the answer. I think if Josh Allen can really become 1-2-3 Beasley or 1-2, oh crap, I'm under pressure, where's Beasley? I think we can be okay there. I really do. Because I'm... I'll level with you. I don't have a lot of faith in their linebackers on Beasley or their slot corner on Beasley. C.J. Mosley is a good off-ball linebacker who is not my cup of tea in coverage. He's he's not the worst coverage linebacker ever. He's not like a two-down thumper. He's not Kelvin Shepard. But he's not going to crush the world in coverage. But Brian Poole in the slot against Cole Beasley? I'll take Beasley. The question is, can Josh Allen make it matter that they have bad edge rushers and bad corners? Can he make that matter? Can he make that salient? Because if their weaknesses aren't exposed, then if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really make a sound, right? If you have weaknesses and no one exposes them, are they really weaknesses? Yeah. I'm curious about... So if they're going to be manufacturing pressure or trying to manufacture pressure through exotic arrangements and, and blitzes and combinations of rushers. That hypothetically is going to put a lot of stress on the backfield who are going to be picking up those blitzes. Yes? So that I feel good about that with Frank Gore, I think. I feel actually um, really comfortable with that with Frank Gore. I don't know how to feel about that with TJ Yeldon and Devlin Singletary. TJ Yeldon can absolutely do that. TJ Yeldon can block I feel perfectly fine with him on third downs in there. I think Devin Singletary will get less carries this game than you're probably expecting. If you're rolling out Devin Singletary in fantasy this week, unless he gets goal line carries, I think you might be disappointed. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, now hearing you talk about it, if I'm creating the game plan, this is the Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon heavy game because I need to make sure that whatever Greg Williams is trying to do is thwarted. This is why having Mitch Morse back for this game is so important. Mitch Morse can help Josh Allen ID this stuff and make sure the protections are right. Because if the protection holds up, it's all on Josh Allen at that point. If the protection holds up, our wide receivers, which haven't, aren't going to come into this year being on the top of anyone's list, can absolutely beat the Jets' defensive backs. Hmm. So we've got, you're talking about John Brown and Zay Jones against these outside guys. Uh, What should we expect as far as run defense from the Jets? I personally don't think there's a lot of room with Quinn and Williams and Leonard Williams and Henry Anderson in the middle. The Jets' middle with C.J. Mosley and them is very, 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 very stout. I don't think you're going to pound the rock up inside. I don't think Feliciano, Morse, and Quentin Spain are going to grade their way to a lot of inside plays. I think this is going to have to be a perimeter run game sort of thing. Now, C.J. Mosley can run side to side. He absolutely can run. But I'm not entirely sure how well the edges can hold up and make sure they set the edge. If I was going to design a run play, it would be primarily perimeter-based this week. Okay. Okay. 
Well, it sounds like we're going to transition to the other side of the ball now, but it sounds like this is going to be a game where Josh Allen has the opportunity to, uh, as he does every week, but he has the opportunity to make a huge difference. And if he fails to do so, then we're in big trouble because the running game isn't necessarily just going to keep us alive on its own against this particular D. I would agree with that. Okay. So, on the opposite side, uh, the Jets, you know, have their renowned offense uh, with Sam Darnold and his new tools of Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder. So, I suppose that's exciting for a lot of people. I don't find it particularly exciting, but so be it. Uh, The... Offensive line, you said, is a weakness of theirs, which is exciting because, hypothetically, with Ed Oliver and Jerry Hughes, Starla Tule, and a healthy and energized Trent Murphy, plus a contract year Shaq Lawson, perhaps we're going to be getting more out of our front four than we have seen previously. I would agree with that. I think the big thing on the Jets' offensive line for me is that everyone's just kind of assuming that Kelechi Osemele is going to regain 2017 form. And I'm not sure why that is. He was really good in 2017. He was really bad in 2018. And I think we're just all kind of just assuming, the Jets fans especially, that they're getting 2017 Kelechi Yosemite. What if you're not? What if he looks like 2018 Kelechi Yosemite? I don't... Where is he on the offensive line? Left guard. Okay, so who is going to be primarily trying to take advantage of him? Ed Oliver. I got a big smile on my face. Yeah, and you just made your eyebrows do an exotic dance. Yes. (laughs) I like Brian Winters at right guard. I do. I like Brian Winters at right guard. And those are the people, along with Ryan Khalil, who are going to be dealing with Starla Tulele, Ed Oliver, Jordan Williams, sorry, Jordan Phillips, Harrison Phillips. And... Could Kelechi Assembly regain his form? Absolutely. Brian Winters is a perfectly reasonable player. Um, Ryan Khalil is not good. Well, people were writing home about... he. So he's a... For people who maybe just that, that name is kind of over your head. This is a guy who was a center in Carolina for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Retired and then came out of retirement this season. He, he, he retired at the end of last season. Uh played last season, came out of retirement this season to come to the Jets in camp when they needed a bunch of help. He hasn't been good for a bit. So there's a lot of assumptions being made with the Jets offensive line. You're assuming Kelechi Assembly is going to be 2017 version. You're assuming that Ryan Khalil is going to be a version we haven't seen in years. I just think there's a lot of assumptions being made on the Jets offensive line. Could the stars align and Ryan Khalil gets his third wind, I suppose, and Kelechi Semele becomes 2017 version. Yeah, absolutely, all that stuff can happen. But I think it's a stretch. And I, I don't think Sam Darnold is going to have the time he wants, and I don't think Le'Veon Bell is going to have the push that he wants. What is the offensive strategy of Adam Gase going to be? Is, is he going to be... I mean, it's it, maybe that's amalgamous because he's all over the place I don't really know man because I I thought he was a certain way when he was with Peyton Manning but I don't know if that was just Peyton Manning and now watching in the last couple years of Miami it's the slowest offense I've ever seen in my life and maybe it was just Ryan Tannehill was just a bad executor I really don't know what we're gonna see here's what I've seen thus far he doesn't know how to utilize running backs correctly he it's offense is incredibly slow 
and it's primarily short-ranged dink and dunks that are complemented by drawing safeties up and then taking shots over the top. I think it's how it's supposed to be drawn up, but I'll level with you. I'm not sure what we're going to see. The dink and dunk, I mean, that doesn't necessarily scare me, mostly because on paper, the healthy version of our secondary, I'm very comfortable with. And uh, the starters, the pass down arrangements of uh, a big nickel slash safety slash linebacker hybrid along with Trey and Matt Milano, I mean, you're not going to get all of that dink and dunk stuff for free on this defense. My main concern on the offense is actually not Le'Veon Bell. Now, maybe I'm underselling Le'Veon Bell. Now, and maybe I'm just assuming he's going to be the focus of the game plan and we're going to be able to deal with him in a, in a meaningful way. Way. My main concern on their offense is if Robbie Anderson's healthy and he takes the top off. We do not have players in that secondary. The main weakness, the Achilles heel of this Bills defense, is pure speed. Yeah. And Tredavious White showed you that in joint practices with the Panthers when Curtis Samuel took the top off of him multiple times. Yeah, that it's pure speed on on Poyer's side too. Hyde is a little better. This is my opinion. You tell me if you disagree with me. I think on deep stuff, Hyde positions himself a little bit better. Uh, Poyer, I don't know. He seems more instinctual to me and and maybe just uh, puts himself in, a I don't know, a little bit more of a risky position where he's trying to, I see him chasing and recovering more than I do Micah Hyde. I cannot speak to it because I never really thought about it until you just said it. Okay. So I have no opinion. But I do know that the corners that we have, Levi Wallace and Tredavious White, do not have game-breaking speed. So if the line holds up against our pass rush and Darnold decides he's going to air it out with Robbie Anderson if he's healthy, that is a concern for me about this offense because Robbie Anderson can take the top off this thing. Um, I am much more concerned about that than I am about Le'Veon Bell. And maybe that maybe I'm what about, wrong. What about Jamison Crowder? Jamison Crowder is a good player, and I am confused as to his fit with the Jets. Because when I watched Danny Amendola last year with the Dolphins, I didn't see them utilize him in a meaningful way. So I'm concerned as to whether or not they will utilize Jamison Crowder in that way. A lot of this is just, I'm going to have to wait and see what Gase looks like with the Jets. Because his offense looked a certain way with the, with the Dolphins, but I don't know if that was really Tannehill hamstringing the whole thing. Okay. Are there any other things that are big picture for you with the Bills defense and the Jets offense that you think is of interest? I want to see how they handle Le'Veon Bell out of the out of the backfield. I want to see if it's Matt Milano out of the backfield on Le'Veon Bell or if it's Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about Milano. I just it seems just a tad slow um, from where he was last year. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about what you think it's going to take? if the Bills are going to win this and if the Jets are going to win this? If the Bills win, it will be because Josh Allen learned quickly that to get out of Dodge, you get it to Beasley. When there's 47 people coming at you and your line is doesn't have enough blockers, we, we do a lot of empty concepts in this offense and we do a lot of spreading the field. And if we have four people, five people out in patterns, Josh Allen needs to understand that if there's seven coming and I got five blockers, I'm not going to get out of trouble with my feet. I need to get out of trouble with my arm. I'm going to say 
that the Bills win. Yeah, that's a tough one for me to. I can't say that that's less that anything is going to be more important than that. I will say the other thing I think is really important is if our if our pass rush is what we all hope it is. That I don't I don't know that Darnold is going to be the guy who's going to lead you if he's getting if he's got guys around his ankles all game. Um, I'm not that afraid of Darnold in general. I think he's a, I think he's fine, but he doesn't strike me as a guy who I just think is like I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's hard because we think about Tom Brady as like the guy, the quarterback in our division that we're worried about. But I'm just not there with Darnold yet, and I pray to God that we don't get there. But I think if our pass rush is making a difference in the game and taking away some of that stuff, I would say that and then the um, and then the quick stuff with Crowder and Le'Veon Bell. I am worried about that because I'm a little bit worried about Milano's speed. So I would say uh, Bills win if we can take those things away. Jets win if. Jets win if Darnold goes from being a little bit better than Allen to a lot of bit better than Allen. Ooh, I don't like that. If Darnold takes the next step and Allen doesn't, if Allen looks like even end of 2018 Allen, people talk about end of 2018 Allen like somehow that was a pro bowler because he was the number one PFF ranked quarterback for a couple weeks and he was a huge fantasy stud for those couple weeks. If you extrapolate that data over the entire season, we're in the 20s in points. Joe Marino talked about this on his uh, Twitter Tuesday, which was this morning because we're recording this on Tuesday evening. If you extrapolate Josh Allen's data over the course of the entire year and the Bills' data around him, we're it's still in the 20s in yards. We're in the 20s in points. It's a below-average offense, guys. I mean, I know we're all excited, but I said he went from terrible to meh is what Josh Allen did. And so did the Bills' offense. The Bills' offense went from terrible, historically bad, to meh. But the problem is meh is such a huge step up from terrible. We all thought it was we were looking at Angels. And if Josh Allen comes out and is the same guy we saw at the end of 2018 and Sam Darnold is not and took the next step, we're in trouble. That's when the Jets win. I think the Jets win if the Jets win if their corners are not as bad as we think they are. The Jets win if it's not necessarily on Allen, but there is just like it's really, really tough to get anything on the outside going. If that happens, and it's a stout, you know, we already have kind of concluded that it's probably going to be a pretty stout middle to be running on, right? And we're going to be asking Allen to find Beasley and get out of Dodge. If that's the only thing that we have, because nothing on the outside is working at all, because the shitty Jets corners just aren't shitty on Sunday, um, I think we're going to have a problem. Let's take another break. We will come back and we will do our 16-game predictions for win-loss for the Bills in 2019. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T and along with me as always. Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And let's go ahead and jump right in. We are going to go through the Bills 2019 schedule and the win-loss record that Bruce and I expect the Bills to achieve. Okay. Anything you want to say before we get started? 
Don't yell at me. <laughs> no promises. This is a tough game for tough people. Okay. So Sunday, September 8th. That seems soon. I would argue it's in a couple days. Oh, God. Getting me chills. Okay. At the New York Jets, I am going to say win. I said loss. Why did you say loss? Oh, gee. Okay, so we're going to have this discussion now. Um, It'll be brief. So, I'll believe it with Josh Allen when I see it. And what I saw at the end of 2018 is not it. Not enough it. Not enough. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay. Sunday, September 15th, at the New York Giants, I say win. I also said win. Sunday, September 22nd, Cincinnati Bengals at home, the home opener. I said win. I also said win. That'll be fun. I'm going to be at that game. I'm looking forward to that. Sunday, September 29th, New England at New Era Field. I am going to say loss. I will always say loss to the Patriots until I see otherwise. Okay. Sunday, October 6th, at Tennessee, before the bye. So this is a technique, This is week five. I am going to say loss. I said win. Do you have a feeling about that? Yeah, we beat the Tennessee Titans with bad Josh Allen and Corey Bajorquez thinking it was a fake field goal. Yeah, and I, I don't think they're markedly better this year than they were last year. I don't know. I just... I don't... This is one of those things where kind of like you start to feel like what direction is the team going and I'm just putting myself in the mind space of, okay, so we started out 3-0, and we lost to New England at home, now we have to travel, it's right before the bye, are we going to handle our business, are we not, what's going to happen? And I just don't have a, I don't know, I don't have a good feeling about it. Of course, I haven't seen a damn play, so who knows how I'm really going to feel, but we are both going into the bye at 3-2. and two. Then we've got the bye week and we come back. Sunday, October 20th versus Miami at home. I am going to say win. I said win as well. We need to sweep the Dolphins this year. Regardless of who Josh Allen is. Regardless. <laughs> if you get bad Josh Allen, you still need to sweep the Dolphins. Okay. I don't care who Sweep the Dolphins this year. Sweep the Dolphins this year. Okay. Uh, then we have Sunday, October 27th, Philadelphia in Buffalo. One of the two games that are on Fox this year. Yeah, I'm that's gonna, a loss. I'm going to say loss. Yeah, yeah we're both, we both have loss. that. Okay. Sunday, November 3rd. Uh, Washington in Buffalo. That's uh, three home games in a row after the bye week. That is also on Fox. I am going to say win. I as well said win. I am not a Case Keenum believer. At that point, we might be on the Dwayne Haskins era. I'm not really a Dwayne Haskins believer. I like Dwayne Haskins. I think he's got all the talent in the world. Now, I'm a Buckeye homer, so there's <laughs> there's that. But But to be fair, I like Dwayne Haskins a lot. My big concern with Dwayne Haskins coming out is he doesn't handle pressure well. He doesn't have good mobility. He doesn't deal well with a messy pocket. And I think he could have a significant learning curve 
especially because Trent Williams isn't there for the Redskins. Okay, so at this point, we are both five and three. And then Sunday, November 10th, we are going to Cleveland. I am going to say that is a win here in Cleveland. Wow. I am not a Cle- I You may not be a Josh Allen believer until you see it. I am not a Cleveland believer until, you see, until I see it. I just, they have got, Wyatt Teller is not going to fix their offensive line woes. And I think Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. I think there is a lot of personality in that locker room with a first-time head coach. And I just, I, I like what I've seen of Freddie Kitchens. He was also hired by the Haslams and John Dorsey. And I, John Dorsey seems to have made a lot of smart moves. I don't always agree with what the Haslams are doing on the in the, in the decision making and the things. So I just got to see Cleveland till I believe it. What about you? I think Cleveland can out talent the Bills. I agree with that. And they have a quarterback who's proven it. And my big question going into this game was: Have they fallen apart yet? Yeah, that's exactly and my concern. You said yes. I said no. Therefore, I have Cleveland winning that game. Okay, so now I have got the Bills at six and three, and you are at five and four. Okay. Then we both go to Miami, uh, Sunday, November 17th. I'm going to say a win. Absolutely. Okay, so it's a sweep of the of the Dolphins for both of us. Sunday, November 24th, Denver in Buffalo. I am going to say win. I say win as well. So you are 7-4. and four. I am... Good Lord, I'm 8-3. and three. Okay, <laughs> that feels nice. Okay, and now we are getting into the gauntlet of it. Thursday... Thursday, November 28th at Dallas on Thanksgiving Day. I am going to say loss. I said loss as well. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to get into that? No. When was the last time the Bills won a primetime game that was meaningful? Yeah. Ever? It's 4.30. I mean, it's kind of primetime. I just... National stage, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I just... I don't know. It's out of the ordinary. It's... it's, uh, You know, I don't know. I just... I don't really think that much of Dallas, but I I just don't think it's... It doesn't feel good to make that trip and, and... break up the routine I think if you were going to get Dallas this year getting them earlier would be better because of Ezekiel Elliott's holdout Amari Cooper's injury with his foot stuff I think that there's a greater chance they'll be better later than better earlier okay the next week Sunday December 8th Baltimore in Buffalo I'm gonna say loss although I really I really want to see if this Baltimore experiment can hold water I was really looking forward to the Baltimore offense and watch some preseason, watch some practice stuff. I think we might just see the Tyrod Taylor offense from 2017. With Greg Roman again. With Greg Roman. I, I, I'm starting to think they're not going to reinvent offense at all, and I'm kind of blummed out a little about I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little upset that they're not going to reinvent anything. They're just going to give us the same read option stuff we've been seeing from Greg Roman, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. He's fantastic. But it looked a lot like, now maybe they're just holding literally their entire playbook back. But it looked a lot like 2017 Tyrod. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. And I think 2017 Tyrod at this point is a more accurate passer than Lamar Jackson. But... I think they can stomp on us. I think they can stomp on us from a running game standpoint. So I took that as a loss for the Bills. So at this point, oh gosh, where are we now? 
eight. I was eight and three. Now I'm eight and five. No, eight, yeah, eight and five. And you are seven and six. Okay. We've got three games left. We are going to go Sunday, December 15th at Pittsburgh. I am going to say loss on it's more so like heritage of the Steelers. I, I have no idea what they're going to look like. But Big Ben just still finds a way to win meaningful games. Mike Tomlin's running a circus, but they still pull out wins. I, I don't understand it, and I hate it, but that's where I am. The death of the Steelers' offense, I think, is significantly overplayed. When they lost Mike Wallace, everyone thought they were going to lose it, and Antonio Brown stepped up. When they lose Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to step up. James Washington's going to step up. James Conner was perfectly reasonable. The, the rushing offense was not markedly different without Le'Veon Bell last year. I don't even understand why people are counting Le'Veon Bell as a loss. He was a loss last year. <laughs> right. Yeah, this year, not really. And it's, if anything, they should be better than they were before. I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that they can't put up points at this point. So that's a loss. That's a loss for me. Okay, so we are on a, both of us have us on a three-game losing streak here. Sunday, December 21st, or December 22nd, to be determined, we are at New England. Boo! Boo! I am also going to say loss, and based on your previous comments, I would imagine you're also going to say loss. Absolutely. I wish that was at home late in the year, but it is what it is. And so then we are on a four-game losing streak, coming home to end the season on December 29th against the New York Football Jets. I have that as a win. I also have that as a win. You have us going 8-8. Eight and eight. I have us going 9-7. and seven. Uh, The big differences were the Tennessee game. I said loss. You said win. And let's see. The Cleveland game. I said win. You said loss. There's got to be another one here that we are... Differentiating on, let me see, one, two, three, four. The opening game. And then the home opener this week. Damn you, Bruce. Damn you. What did I do? I don't know. I just feel now like if we lose, there's some kind of bad juju you've put on us. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on us. Okay. Have you been with this team (laughs) for the last 20 years? I. Is it, has it been my fault this whole time? No, but. We have to place the blame somewhere, <laughs> and it, ha- it just so happens to be right now. That's where I'm putting it. So. I'll be your lightning rod of hate. All right. Okay. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you here. We hope that you like the podcast and the things that we had going on. Uh, we would like to invite everybody to come out to the bar. Uh, the Cleveland Bills Backers Bar is going to be meeting at third place at the corner of Warren and Orchard Park Roads in Cleveland, the neighborhood of Cam's Corners. We have the whole basement to ourselves, two big screen TVs, server all of our own, and you're going to have Bruce and Nick Bat. So what the hell else do you want? If you are not making a drive to come to watch the game with us, unless you're going to the Meadowlands, we expect to see you there. And we're going to crack open some Labats and smash some wings and have a great time. So... 
as always, thank you so much for joining us. Please head over to the iTunes store. Let us know if you like this. You're, you're listening to, if you're listening to this, you're more than likely one of the guys or girls who are listening to like every single freaking Bills pod this week because your juices are flowing. You're pumped up for the game this weekend and you want all the Bills content you can get. If you are listening to us and you like what we're doing and this is something that you enjoy, please tell us about it. We would love to hear from you. And frankly, we feel like maybe we've earned it. If you are listening to us and you prioritize listening to us on this kind of a week, give us a shout. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at Nick Bat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. You can find me at Bruce Exclusive. And as always, until next time. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. We're visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.